Welcome to Idlewild Cottage, a quiet place where kindred spirits can linger together over a cup of tea, savoring all things lovely and cozy. My name is Juliana, and I'm delighted to have you. Each episode here at the cottage will center around a theme. That theme will be celebrated in a number of ways, through literature, art, nature, and even some favorite movie scenes, we'll cherish the sweet and simple things of life. So make yourself at home, and I'll put the kettle on. I do believe our dear Anne Shirley said it best. I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. Welcome to this October day, my friends. In celebration of this vivid month, we'll weave our way throughout several favorite books seeking out idyllic October settings along the way. You'll find that Lucy Maud Montgomery and Louisa May Alcott very much take center stage. Let's begin at the source and step right into Anne of Green Gables. Chapter 16 is the home of this well-loved October line. October was a beautiful month at Green Gables when the birches in the hollow turned as golden as sunshine and the maples behind the orchard were royal crimson, and the wild cherry trees along the lane put on the loveliest shades of dark red and bronzy green, while the fields sunned themselves in aftermaths. Anne reveled in the world of color about her. Oh, Marilla, she exclaimed one Saturday morning, coming dancing in with her arms full of gorgeous boughs. I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers, it would be terrible if we just skipped from September to November, wouldn't it? Look at these maple branches. Don't they give you a thrill? Several thrills? I'm going to decorate my room with them. While Anne decorates her room with thrilling maple branches, we'll slip away to another room, Joe March's beloved garret in Little Women. Joe was very busy in the garret, for the October days began to grow chilly and the afternoons were short. For two or three hours, the sun lay warmly in the high window, showing Joe seated on the old sofa, writing busily with her papers spread out upon a trunk before her, while Scrabble, the pet rat, promenaded the beams overhead, accompanied by his oldest son, a fine young fellow who was evidently very proud of his whiskers. Quite absorbed in her work, Joe scribbled away till the last page was filled, when she signed her name with a flourish. Another kindred spirit who often has a pen or pencil in hand is the Mary Elizabeth Warrington Ray of Deep Valley. Her October adventures are many, and this one finds us in Maud Hart Lovelace's book, Betsy Was a Junior. Betsy's older sister, Julia, is off to the university where she sends home fascinating accounts of sororities. Naturally, Betsy is inspired. She, Tacy, and Tib decide to create their own. On a golden hilltop overlooking Deep Valley, Betsy, Tacy, and Tib founded their sorority. They sat in a grove of small maples, all the same color and ridiculously bright. Below them, autumn flowed like spilled wine, not only the trees, but the bushes, the vines, even the grasses were ready. Well, the sorority gradually takes shape under the leadership of this trio, 
and as the group is eventually comprised of eight girls, they call themselves the Octo Deltas, complete with gold sorority pins and orange and black armbands. Betsy is in her element as she reads the minutes following their second meeting. The second meeting of the Octo Delta sorority was held on October 17th at the home of Sister Root. The meeting was called to order by the president, and the sisterin showed undue mirth and hilarity during the reading of the minutes. The Octo Deltas show undue mirth and hilarity at the football game, too, which you can hear more about in Episode 4. The life of another young girl named Elizabeth is impacted by Anne Shirley in Anne of Windy Poplars. Though set as the fourth book in the Anne series, this 1936 title was actually the seventh to be published. Anne is the principal of Summerside High School and boards at Windy Poplars on Spooks Lane. The sweet Elizabeth Grayson lives next door, and the ladies of Windy Poplars provide this delicate creature with her daily supply of milk. In an October 15th letter to Gilbert, Anne describes their meeting. Three nights ago, I took the glass of milk to the wall door, and little Elizabeth herself was there to get it, her head just coming above the solid part of the door so that her face was framed in the ivy. She is small, pale, golden, and wistful. Her eyes, looking at me through the autumn twilight, are large and golden hazel. Her silver-gold hair fell in waves on her shoulders. She wore a pale blue gingham dress and the expression of a princess of Elfland. And is this Elizabeth? I said. Not tonight, she answered gravely. This is my night for being Betty, because I love everything in the world tonight. I was Elizabeth last night, and tomorrow night I'll probably be Beth. It all depends on how I feel. There was the touch of the kindred spirit for you. I thrilled to it at once. This scene is sweetly portrayed in the 1940 film by the same name. I'll include a link in the show notes so you can momentarily step into this portrayal. You'll see Anne played by none other than actress Anne Shirley. Born in 1918, Dawn Evelyn Paris legally changed her name to Anne Shirley in honor of her favorite heroine. In this film, Elizabeth is played by a young Joan Carroll, whom you might recognize as Agnes from Meet Me in St. Louis. And Mady is played by Henry Travers, best known for his role as Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life. For young Rose Campbell of Louisa May Alcott's Eight Cousins, October is especially lovely as it's her birth month. The 12th of October was Rose's birthday. Surprises and presents kept popping out in the most delightful manner all through the day. But the best gift of all came on the way to Mount Windytop, where it was decided to picnic in honor of the great occasion. Three jolly loads set off soon after breakfast, for everybody went, and everybody seemed bound to have an extra good time. A general scramble among the rocks was followed by a regular gypsy lunch, which the young folks had the rapture of helping to prepare. Mother Atkinson put on her apron, turned up her sleeves, and fell to work as gaily as if in her own kitchen, 
boiling the kettle slung on three sticks over a fire of cones and fir boughs, while the girls spread the mossy table with a feast of country goodies. Another October birthday portrayed by Alcott is none other than Marmee's. Based on Alcott's own mother, whose birthday was October 8th, we see a sweet tribute to this matriarch in the final pages of Little Women. This chapter, called Harvest Time, is simply brimming with October delights. I'll weave a few excerpts to give you a picture. There were a great many holidays at Plumfield, and one of the most delightful was the yearly apple picking. For then, the Marches, Lawrences, Brooks, and Bears turned out in full force and made a day of it. One of these fruitful festivals occurred on a mellow October day, when the air was full of an exhilarating freshness which made the spirits rise. After the merry apple picking, which you can hear more about in our first episode, The Apple Orchard, we focus in on the birthday. At four o'clock, Joe and Meg, with a detachment of the bigger boys, set forth the supper on the grass, for an out-of-door tea was always the crowning joy of the day. Demi, as the oldest grandchild, then presented the queen of the day with various gifts, so numerous that they were transported to the festive scene in a wheelbarrow. During this ceremony, the boys mysteriously disappeared. The professor suddenly began to sing. Then, from above him, voice after voice took up the words, and from tree to tree echoed the music of the unseen choir as the boys sung with all their hearts the little song Joe had written, Laurie set to music, and the professor trained his lads to give with the best effect. This was something altogether new, and it proved a grand success. Mrs. March couldn't get over her surprise, and insisted on shaking hands with every one of the featherless birds. For further outdoor frolics, we'll join 14-year-old Catherine Hall in the sweet novel A Gathering of Days. Written in 1979 by Joan Bloss, this book bears the subtitle A New England Girl's Journal, 1830-32. Monday, October 24th, 1831. Oh, I do think, as it has been said, that if getting in the corn and the potatoes are the prose of a farm child's life, then nutting's the poetry. Chestnuts and beech nuts are plentiful now, and some hickories. Also happily in good supply are those which are my especial delight, the rich round butternuts. The woods these days are glorious in gold, but there still hover over meadow grasses small bright butterflies. Could these sweet hours but stay and stay, cruel winter never come nigh. No, it cannot be. Already we draw to the evening fire, first for its warmth and then for its light on these shortened days. Mrs. Miniver enjoys the warmth of a bright fire mingled with autumn sunshine in the opening pages of the beautiful 1939 book by Jan Struther, simply titled Mrs. Miniver. She and I share something in common, being as we are in our 40s, so I'll close with her thoughtful tribute to this glorious month. Mrs. Miniver suddenly understood why she was enjoying the 40s so much better than the 30s. 
It was the difference between August and October, between the heaviness of late summer and the sparkle of early autumn, between the ending of an old phase and the beginning of a fresh one. She reached her doorstep. The key turned sweetly in the lock. Upstairs in the drawing room, there was a small bright fire of logs, yet the sunshine that flooded in through the open windows had real warmth in it. It was perfect. She felt suspended between summer and winter, savoring the best of them both. She unwrapped the chrysanthemums and arranged them in a glass jar between herself and the light so that the sun shone through them. Their beauty was noble, and as for their scent, she thought, as she buried her nose in the nearest of them, it was a pure distillation of her mood, a quintessence of all that she found gay and intoxicating and astringent about the weather, the circumstances, her own age, and the season of the year. Oh yes, October certainly suited her best. The clock on the mantelpiece chimed very softly and precisely five times. A sudden breeze brought the sharp tang of a bonfire in at the window, and Mrs. Miniver, with a little sigh of contentment, rang for tea. With a sigh of contentment and a ring for just one more round of tea here at the cottage, I'll close with this familiar passage from Ecclesiastes. There is a season for everything and a time for every delight and purpose under heaven. Kindred spirits, would this October season be filled with delights, whether you find yourself gathering vibrant boughs with Anne, munching an apple with Joe, or arranging a bouquet of mums with Mrs. Miniver. Thank you for joining me today, dear ones. Please come again soon to Idlewild Cottage. <laughs>